Hello everybody and welcome to Talking Flutes. Flutes. Talking Flutes. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the seagulls. You never guess where I am. Where am I? Claire? You just, did you just call me a seagull? <laughs> <laughs> Put it this way, if I called you a seagull, I'm sure there would have been a, a hand whacking me round the head. <laughs> Hello Claire, how lovely to see you again. We actually yeah. haven't moved since. <laughs> yes, we have moved. Oh, we have. We have moved. We're walking down to the sea. We are, we're walking down to the beautiful seaside and down here, if I remember rightly, are some lots of sheds. <laughs> no, it's beach huts. They're beach huts. They're beautiful beach huts. Multicoloured beach huts, yeah. yes. So Claire, we have some questions, don't we? Yeah. Do you want to start yes, us off? Yes, it was, how should we react? when someone asks us to work for free as it will be good for our exposure <laughs> oh gosh right well the simple answer of course say no I, mean, I, always say, I always say look you wouldn't ask a plumber or electrician to come and work for free because it would be good for their exposure um, musicians need respect for their profession and we don't get enough respect people think that you know Oh, you can just play an instrument, you can just come and play along and it'll be fun, we'll give you a drink. No. Um, if you want to book a musician professionally, then you need to pay them professional rate. Imagine, there was something going around on Facebook recently about, you know, if you booked for your, for your party um, eight plumbers who played instruments and went on their hourly rate, um, it would be probably more than the party cost. <laughs> You know, it's, we, we need to be respected for what we do. Um, I've had many a time in my early years when I was asked to do something for nothing and was told it'd be good for exposure, so I did it and nothing came of it. You know, you're just giving someone a, a, a free concert. It's a lack of respect from non-musicians, I think. Yes. That don't really understand that. Well, there's a lot of people who don't understand what we do. I remember when I was giving uh, some, uh, some my pri private flute lessons when I was first starting out, and I was talked to the, the father of this, this girl I was teaching that um, I needed to put my fees up, and he was, oh, it's getting windy here, John Paul. <laughs> now we're getting closer to the sea, oh gosh. He, he couldn't believe that I'd want to put my, my money up, and I said, well, I do have a mortgage to pay and bills to pay. He said, well, well, what's your real job? I said, this is my job. What do, you th what do you think I do? You know, I was absolutely flabbergasted that he, for all the time I taught his daughter, he thought I just did it as a little side thing. <laughs> Gosh, I think this wind's going to blow us backwards. No, I tell it? you what's happening is we're, because we're coming straight down to the sea, it's like a wind tunnel. Gosh. And as soon as we get round the corner, it'll stop. I'll take your word for it. Let's have a look. Mark my words. Ready? There's Coming around the corner now. See? There you go. <laughs> it stopped. There's the sheds. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So you, you There's something rather lovely about the beach huts in Hove and Brighton, in that when you're looking towards the sea, they're all painted this lovely pale green, because it's, it has to be the same colour, the uniform colour. And when you get round to the seaside, they can do whatever they want to the front, so they're all brightly coloured and beautifully decorated. It's fascinating. 
so many photographs and videos of on them around, aren't there? There are. But um, I, I, I struggle with anybody that even dares to hint that, you know, would somebody do something for nothing? And I, and I think it's because, you know, I spent myself all oh, hundreds of years, ten, no more than that. I started the flute at 11, so probably 11 years practicing, studying, not to make it as a professional flute player. I've stayed in the flute business, obviously, but the music business, but that's 11 years. Somebody that is teaching and they may be in their 40s. I've probably been, probably been playing the flute and practicing every single day for 30 years. And you're not just doing it, it's not like a, say, a plumber or electrician, like you've said, where you know the trade, you know the things that can go right and wrong, but you don't necessarily come home and go and do a, a course or go and do some practice when you get home on electrics, because you know what's going to happen. But as musicians, you've got to be able to, you've got to practice still. So you're... Your life is practicing to get your art better and to keep yourself in shape. And yet, some people can have the nerve to expect you to do it for nothing. And I think this thing, you know, be good for your profile, that is just, ah, yeah, don't start me on that one. That is... No. So anyway, that's a clear answer then, no. Yeah, ne never <laughs> ever do it. Because it's, you're showing yourself a lack of respect for everything you've done and everything that you've spent your time working on. Oh, it's windy again. Yeah. Yeah, so the weather's really changed, unfortunately. It's not right, quite so as uh, hot and sunny as it has been. Yeah. So, yeah, go on. moving on to another question, because yeah. that was an easy one to answer. Yeah. Um, let's see. Is it possible to become a good flutist if you don't start playing until you're in your 40s? Well, Basically, the def what is the definition of a good flutist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is the definition of good? Yes. So there's there's no reason why someone starting late in life cannot become good at, at, at anything, but it depends what what that definition is. Um, I don't think they're going to become someone who's starting in their forties is not looking to become a professional flute player because um, they'll have obviously had some life up to then. Yeah. Um, but it's, the thing is, it's, it's a bit like me and my golf. And that I started, I started late learning to play golf. And I want to be as good as I can. Yeah. I want to improve as much as possible. I take lessons, I go on courses, I, um, I do everything, I practice everything I can to get better. Yeah. And, that's what that's the definition of an amateur a yes. love or a passion to do to do something a love of something so a, someone who starts late in life yes of course they can become good but they won't be good in the same sense as a good professional i like that idea about passion because ultimately if you're putting passion in as a 40 year old that's been playing for six months that's still as valid as the validity that we put in so I, yeah I think the word good because we all have different definitions of good don't we 
it came up, I was at a flute convention not long ago, and people were talking about the Chaminade. Yep. And the Concertina. And how often, everybody has to play it when they're sort of growing up and it's beautiful and how boring it's become because everybody plays it. And then I think about what Paul Edmund Davis once said to me is that the Poulonk people have said is boring. And he says, no, it's because you've made it boring. It's the passion that we can put into a piece of music, whether you're 40, 50, 60, or been playing one, one month, well, not one month of the flute, but you know what I mean, one year. There's a validity in that. And what is the measure of good? Yeah, what is the measure of good? Especially in music, because in golf, it's pretty obvious because you've got a par, which you've got the number of shots you've got to get the ball into a hole. And you have a handicap, which can increase that par based around how good you are. But in music, what is the measure? The measure is personal preference, surely. Yeah, it's very subjective. So, yes, it's, 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 impos it's impossible to, to define. God, it's posh around here, Claire. Bentley's and... <laughs> You live in a different world than the rest of us, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a big Georgian building. Gosh. Yeah. They, yeah, they're lovely, lovely buildings around here. This is a lovely, a lovely square with, with, with beautiful, beautiful houses. So good is, a sub, good is subjective, a subjective. So I think you can be good, as long as you, <laughs> your measure of good is. Yes, it's, it's, it's. It's, it's expectation again as well, isn't it? I mean, if you're starting as late as your 40s, what is the expectation you have? To be able to play with a group of other players, to, to get in the local amateur orchestra, to just play for your, for your own enjoyment. But I don't think you'd be wanting to be on the world stage as a sol soloist. That'd be fun though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. So I think the, you've answered that question, Claire. The answer is, it was in your first sentence, what is good? What is good? Next one. Okay, I have to stop walking for a second so I can find it. Should flute players be required to adhere strictly to the original composer's intentions when performing classical music, or is it acceptable to make modifications or improvisations to suit the performer's style or interpretation? Oh gosh, that's a long one. Oh, heck. Well, I would say that we're the voice of the composer, not the arranger. Um, <laughs> I think it's disrespectful to alter the composer's wishes for their own self-satisfaction, but each individual is in control of what they want to say with their music. So music does get messed around and changed. Um, I'm more of a purist that I am the vehicle between what the composer has written for the audience to hear and I'm just relaying that with my slant on it, of course. I put my emo emotion in, but putting the emotion in doesn't change what's written on the page, if you like. Um, so I'm interpreting, but I'm interpreting within the framework of what the composer's put on the page. So if you're looking at something like Mozart, for example, yeah, there's sort of word and mouth and how it's come down over the, the, the years. Yeah. But do we really know how Mozart would have played it if he'd written it now? No. And 
there is an argument for, for, for music that's where we don't have the knowledge to play however you want to play it, I suppose. But in terms of authenticity, mm -hmm. or as close as we can get, there are rules of style right. um, in terms of the era in which you're playing. So for me, I will play according to that style. Otherwise, everything starts to sound the same, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the problem. Where do you draw the line? I mean, you know, you could play a whole program of, of different eras of music and you could sound the same at every single piece. Whereas if you are true to the dial of that period of music, each piece will sound a little bit different. And, you know, it's all to do with musical intelligence, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think if you play everything the same, you're not using any intelligence. Yeah, it'd be like using fast vibrato in a, or a slow vibrato in Mozart, wouldn't it, or Bach? Well, the use of vibrato is all to do with musical intelligence, emotional intelligence as well. That's a whole different topic, of course. <laughs> yeah, nightmare, not one to oh, get into on oh, this one. Oh, heck, yes. For use of vibrato, that is, oh, gosh. Yes. We've got a question on that, we'll do it next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's dangerous territory, isn't it? So yeah, I would I would agree on that. That is down to staying very as true as possible to the composer's wishes, because ultimately it's the composer that's written the story. Yeah, and if you look at so you talked about Mozart, Bach or Mozart, and we don't know how it would be played, but we've got a fair idea because we can use the rules of the time to make it stylish. But if you're playing something contemporary of the moment now, composers put in every nuance. They are so good at saying exactly what they want you to do. So if you were to ignore that, then that is very disrespectful to the composer, because it's not what they've written. And you wouldn't take a, a storybook and rewrite it, would you, without no. the, the composer's permission? No. Sorry, the, author, the, the author's, author's permission. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's again a quick and easy answer. <laughs> You've whizzed through those, which is more going to say than. Uh, and it's just starting to spit as well. God, do you know it's really nice to be down in your part of the world, your posh part of the world, and the weather isn't glorious. Yeah, but this is the first day after about, I don't know, two months <laughs> where it hasn't been gorgeous. Another question? Have we got, yeah? We, Have we got another question? That isn't vibrato. Oh, no, I think it might be vibrato, you know. God, size the seagulls. Gosh, that is a monster. That's like a pterodactyl. <laughs> Sat, we, um, we stood by a car and there's this huge seagull looking at me. The seagulls are very, very big. Ooh, hello. There was a video online this week of a man here in Brighton who bought himself some chips and gone along the beach and got chased by a whole flock of seagulls. So much so that he eventually just chucked the chips away because it was quite, they were aggressive, really aggressive. Gosh. Quite scary. So I think we've answered quite a few questions, John Paul. I think maybe we should leave the vibrato one for another pod. I would agree. Because it's going to be one that we need to maybe sit in the quiet and think about. Yes, and sort of give examples of vibrato. I like and vibrato I don't like. <laughs> I talk about goat, for example. I can't stand the goat vibrato, but that's just me. I know some people naturally play with it, but there well, you go. We can talk about it in more depth. So 
Many thanks to everyone for listening. Do send your questions in. Yeah, I keep forgetting to remind them to do that. Flutepodcast at gmail.com. Flutepodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Or? Facebook, we've got a designated page, Talking yeah. Flutes. Twitter and Instagram, at Flute, at Claire Flute. With, as always, thanks to our sponsors, who are... TJ Flutes. Follow us on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Facebook at Trevor James Flutes, and the web at tjflutes.com. There's another big pterodactyl there. Gosh. That's a pigeon. That's not, is it? <laughs> oh, no, I was talking about this. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a little pigeon, yeah. Oh, I've lost it. Oh, I've got the age clear. I've, I've had it. <laughs> this is the perfect time to... Uh, <laughs> To call it a day, I can't. I can't. I've just, blah, 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 blah. Can't talk anymore. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, every everybody, and uh, speak to you all again next week. I haven't the foggiest what's up next week, but um, vibrato, I think. No, no, that's it. <laughs> no, no, not next week. I need longer than that to prep for that one. <laughs> See everybody. Bye. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.